Hershendetje Internet, which is Albanian. It is us once again, Andy and Thomas, here with another This Week International, episode five. It's episode six. I knew that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I swear this is five, but anyways. Um, so we will uh, dive right into some updates about the Armenia situation. We do have some updates about the Nagorno-Karabakh situation. Our first couple updates come October 4th, and this is one day after our last recording. So we finished, um, we did our recording on October 3rd, and by that time, there weren't that many advances. The Azeris had captured the Murovdag, which is some sort of a mountain range in the Nagorno-Karabakh area. But we do have some new updates. And by the way, if you want a history on this Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, we explained it all pretty clearly in our last episode. So go check that one out. I highly recommend you listen to that episode. But anyway, they're fighting and the Armenians and the Azeris, it's kind of at a stalemate until... October 4th, when the Azeris captured the town of Jabrail. Now, Jabrail is located in the Nagorno-Karabakh region, and it is, like the rest of Nagorno-Karabakh, legally part of Azerbaijan. But it was not the case for a long time, because it was occupied by the Armenians, and the Republic of Artsakh, although I don't actually know if they control that territory or if that was one of those little areas that wasn't even in the actual Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous region that was just controlled by the Armenian military. But anyway, it was captured. This is one of the first major captures of the war. It is located kind of near Iran, which kind of gives us an idea into where the Azeris want to go. Seems like they're taking the route of go south to the Iranian border and then turn up north and then sort of enclose around the Nagorno-Karabakh zone proper because it isn't connected to Armenia. That's why the Armenian military has to be in some of those outside areas because there is no direct connection between Armenia and the Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous zone. So it looks like Azerbaijan wants to conquer all that, and then they will close in on Stepanakert and some of the other cities in the region. Stepanakert is the capital of the Republic of Artsakh. They want to close in on Stepanakert, and they want to capture it, and that would basically mean that the Armenians and Artsakh lost, and Azerbaijan would have all their land back, or they would be controlling all their land again. I mean, to them, they already... It's already legally their land, but uh, they would actually have control of their land. And then I guess the other updates come October 8th and October 9th. October 8th, Armenia claims that Azerbaijan damaged the, I'm going to butcher this name, Gazanchetsuts Cathedral. How do you spell that? Uh, G-H-A-Z-A-N-C-H-E-T-S-O-T-S. G-A-H-A. Okay. Yes. G-H-A. Z-A-N-C-H-E-T-S-O-T-S, cathedral. But it is called 
the Holy Savior Cathedral in English, and it is located in Shusha, which is in Artsakh. So Armenia claims that Azerbaijan damaged it. They probably did. I mean, it seems I mean it seems likely that some buildings would be damaged. But then a the day later, Azerbaijan claims that Armenians have damaged the Goy Imam Mosque in Ganja, which I think it's pronounced Ganja. I don't know if it's Ganja or Ganya. I think it's Ganja. And that's an Azerbaijan property. That's not disputed area. So that is kind of interesting and strange that Armenians would have damaged it. Now, did they damage it? Again, probably. I mean, that's just what happens uh, when countries are at war. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell right now, but we will find out pretty soon if there is all this damage. But Andy, what do you think about this story? I mean, it's a lot on Armenia's side here. I mean, I don't know if I'd have a different opinion if Azerbaijan was a democracy, but like, I mean, would it at this point be better if the Nagorno-Karabakh just separated from Armenia entirely? Yeah, probably. And Azerbaijan? I, I mean, they I seem the, to be, they'd probably be like one of the smallest countries in Europe, but I mean, or Asia, depending on what your opinion of it is. But, it's Asia. Yeah, FIFA kind of screws everybody up and calls things that are Asian European and they thought Australian was oceanic, even though, anyways, they're confusing people. But yeah, so I mean, should definitely go to Armenia. I guess the problem, though, is that, I mean, you can idealize about what country they should be in. And I agree, like, ideally, like, if, if again, if I was emperor of the world and I had to redraw borders, which I don't really know how that worked because I'd be the emperor. I, I don't know if I was just going to dissolve my power after I drew all these borders, but I had the ability to draw all the borders. I've definitely drawn Nagorno-Karabakh in Armenia, but it is still legally part of Azerbaijan. So, I mean, I think a country has a right to legally keep their land. I mean, if the U.S., like, became an authoritarian dictatorship, would Canada have a right to just, like, storm into Washington and Oregon and claim it's their land based on the Oregon Treaty of, whatever, 1818, 1819? I don't remember which year that was. Wouldn't Canada have the right to just storm in there and try to annex or claim uh, Republic of Washington or whatever. Like, does Canada have the right to do that? Like, I don't think so. I mean, it'd probably be better if we were part of Canada, but that's just not how the world works. So, and then I guess also, like, it's kind of relative. Like, then should Taiwan, like, take, should Taiwan, well, Taiwan already does claim that they have all of China, but should they just, like, launch a military assault against China? I mean, they lose, but if their military is powerful, should they just launch an assault against China? Like, I don't know. But Okay, I have two things here. Like, one, I kind of like Nagorno-Karabakh going towards Armenia, which is like, it's like the Constitution. Like, how much of that thing do people follow these days? Like, I mean, the U.S. Constitution, like, not a lot. And it does need updating, but that's a story for another time. Plus, you're also kind of going into the will of our Instagram followers who are, I mean, I just say, like, for keeping listeners, you probably don't want to go against Armenia because the whole thing is overwhelmingly pro-Armenia. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a role. We do problem. have some people who are pro-Azerbaijan, but yeah, I agree. Most of them are pro-Armenia. I mean, I do think it would be better if the Gordo Karabakh went to Armenia. Like, 
I don't know what Armenia's voting system is, but I imagine democracy is better than a dictatorship. Of course, never having lived in a dictatorship, I can't prove that. But as far as human rights records of dictatorships, I mean, you would probably get my point. We've talked about Turkmenistan on this podcast before. People have compared them to like North Korea and Syria, who I don't think we need to examine their human rights record. Yeah, I mean, I agree that Armenia is probably a better country when it comes to like democracy and stuff. But I mean, I just don't think that Armenia just has the right to take land. Like, again, like, should we apply that to all countries? Like, for example, Hungary's not looking so good with their democracy right now. They I mean, a, like, no, they have, Orban, just... they have uh, Victor Orban, although I guess Hungarians call him Orban Victor as their uh, leader. So should Romania or Serbia or Slovakia or Austria or any of those countries who are doing... Well, maybe not Serbia, never mind. Should Romania or Slovakia or Austria just go in there and take uh just conquer hungry like i mean i'm I not know. i'm not making my point as a blanket rule i'm just saying in this situation i think it'd be better if nagorno karabakh went to armenia but isn't there I mean, a bit of a slippery slope there like when does you said you don't make it as a blanket rule like when does that stop and like what's the clear under, line they're better under a dictatorship i mean they're, uh, not a dictatorship they're better with armenia than they are under azerbaijan i mean well, couldn't you make the argument that if Austria just reconquered Hungary? This is what and, I'm saying. I'm not making a blanket then, rule. I'm just saying in this instance, it would be better if they went towards Armenia. Like, one, I think Hungary is way too large for anybody to from it for most people to swallow, except maybe Russia at this point. But, like, I'm just saying, plus, I'm sure there's at least some ethnic statistics on who is the majority in this country. I mean, yeah, in, I mean, like, because their religion is Armenian apostolic, apostolic, apo, bleh, why can't I apostolic? Say yeah, apostolic church, and then demographic. No, I agree, I agree, and it's like, again, like, I know I've said this, this is like the third time I've said this, but like, again, they are culturally Armenians, and like, I agree that in an ideal world, they should be part of Armenia, but just, I think it violates international law, although I don't know. I don't know. That's a big deal to a lot of people. I mean, For yeah, Armenia no. to just go in and annex it. Ideally, I don't know. Maybe they could come to some treaty. Like, maybe I don't know. I wish that like maybe Armenia could like buy Nagorno Karabakh from Azerbaijan. That's probably not going to happen. History. I mean, not like not like I, I like purchasing. I mean, I don't know what their financial yeah. situation is like. I mean, well, most of it, I like I looked at a map of the U.S. and correct me if I'm wrong. We actually bought quite a bit of our land after wars, which I find kind of hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the oh, Louisiana all these purchase. pointless wars, and then you had no, to buy sorry, most no. of your land. Oh, and, wars. Yeah, I noticed like we bought a lot of our stuff after wars. Like we bought like except for like the thirteen original colonies and like a few others. We well, actually, I guess the we Louisiana purchase was in a war, but the Mexican. The tree of Guadalupe Hidalgo, we bought yeah. a bunch of that land yeah. for $18 million, which is weird. It's like we won the war, but then we also bought land. Like, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Very favorable. If you actually think about it, it's a quite a favorable tree to the Mexicans. It could have been a lot worse for them, but that's for another time. That's a totally different topic. <laughs> but, but anyway, I guess we do have a little bit of a difference of opinion on this topic, but hey. That is what we will have because we yes. do not see eye to eye on everything. And this this podcast would be boring if both of us <laughs> yeah. um, agreed on It would be boxer, CNN, boring. Uh, do you want to move on to your topic? 
Yes, audience and maybe Thomas, I don't know. Take notes because this gets complicated. So this it's is the about Ethiopia topic, right? Yes, this is the Ethiopia topic that I studied two hours just to try to understand. And I'm still not sure I have it right, but too late this would push back to my old article, which would have been interesting, but the Rohingya can wait. Um, I'm sorry, so Rohingya listeners, who we probably have none of. <laughs> yeah, no, our, I checked our statistics, and we currently don't have anybody in Myanmar or China listening, I don't think, so uh, unless Acre hasn't updated anything. But yeah, that's off topic. But we do need to do a behind-the-scenes episode. That'd be cool. Anyways, um, so at first, I saw the story on Al Jazeera two hours before we started the episode, which is very late to be starting to research a topic for the episode, but here we go. Um, I think I know why Al Jazeera decided to put this up. I'm not going to read the whole article, but it will help. So for some background, there is recent news that Ethiopian parliament votes to cut ties with Tigray region leaders. And so what happens is basically for years and years, uh, Ethiopia has been under autocracy and monarchy and all sorts of stuff. until so there's this big uprising and like, and so there's basically become two groups here. So the current prime minister is part of an ethnic group called the Oromo, and his name is Abiy Ahmed, which I find it kind of odd that he's prime minister Abe of Ethiopia. Anyways, um, so he, Abiy Ahmed, uh, promised sweeping reforms to ease tensions within the region of Ethiopia, which I do not have time to go into. To go into, he even won a prize, a Nobel Peace Prize for uh, settling tensions with Eritrea, and he's part of the largest, as I mentioned, he's part of the largest ethnic group within Ethiopia that is called the Oromo. But people are not in Ethiopia, particularly some groups who we'll get into, are saying that Abe or Abiy Ahmed is, I think he has like another name too, but it's one of those weird ones where it's like multiple names, but they only use two, is suppressing minority groups. So one of in his sweeping reforms, he basically brought Ethiopia out of dictatorship from under the EPRDF, which is, I guess, the previous autocratic regime that controlled it. And that's what told Ethiopia. And so what I've learned about Ethiopia is here, it's, it's not really so much party versus party as it is autocracy versus democracy, an ethnic group versus ethnic group, kind of like the US in a way, but not really. Um, except they're a little bit more violent over there, but that's a story for another time. So what the problem was in Ethiopia was that too many leaders were only focusing on one ethnic group, like they were promoting the interests of their ethnic group. So Abiy Ahmed, Prime Minister Ahmed, started a party called the Prosperity Party, who he promised was a all-Ethiopia party and was going to unite Ethiopia but there has been multiple issues that have arisen with two groups called the Tigray and the Amhara. So if I'm pronouncing, that could be Amara, I'm not sure. Or I think, no, it's Amhara. I remember it's from Amhara. The video. Yeah, thank you. I remember from the video. So the Tigray felt, so the Tigray leadership, if you will, are led by the TPLF. And the Tigray are actually uh, our ethnic group from a province of Ethiopia, not surprisingly, called Tigray. Okay, and the TPLF, who held elections, even though the government told them not to, in the province of Tigray, won one, I kid you not, this is a democratic election, won 189 out of 190 seats in Tigray's local parliament. And they actually had, 
were part of a previous pretty authoritarian regime from 1995 and was deposed in 2019. And basically this election in the province of Tigre was like a threat as far as popularity to the Abiy Ahmed government. And actually there is now another group led by a guy named Muhammad Jawar, who is the leader of a group called the Karo movement, who um, they're also a Romo. And so Karo, the Karos basically claim, okay, Tigre is suppressing opposition, which is something he, he basically legalized opposition parties to run in Ethiopia. But because of the tensions with the Amhara, even though they voted for Ahmed, they, uh, they are still pretty judged for previous leadership decisions. But yeah, and, and militant groups have actually at one point kidnapped over 50 Amara college students. But they mostly feel like the Ahmed government has abandoned them and like stopped policing their region, which is now policed by militant youth groups. And I can't remember the name of them, but like who have also been accused of killing people. But they also claim that they feel abandoned by Ahmed. Anyways, back to Muhammad Jawar. So he leads a group called the Kana movement, as I mentioned. But from what I understand, he's a pretty controversial dude. He was actually under a previous regime. He was accused of treason and terrorism and has claims he has had multiple death threats against him from the current government, which is they're technically not supposed to do that. But they also denied threatening death to Muhammad Jawar. So, yeah. And the Amhara have also been taking issue, forming their own ethno-nationalist party. And the Tigre are also trying to come back into power after they got deposed after a long autocratic-ish, from what I understand, a pre-autocratic government in Ethiopia, led by the TPLF. And their spokesperson claims they're trying to come back and... Essentially, what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to retake the government because they feel like their government was unfairly thrown out of power. But like, I don't know if they were or not. I can't really speak to that. So basically, I think the reason this came to light is because in the region of Tigray, as I probably mentioned, they recently cut ties entirely with the Ethiopian government. I mean, I guess this is the start of a separatist movement. I can't be for sure. There are a lot of Tigrayan separatists. I wouldn't be surprised this became the next independent country, maybe with, I don't know, Nagorno-Karabakh, who knows? But yeah, it's a pretty big deal. What do you think about this whole thing? Well, it seems pretty complicated. I mean, Ethiopia was never actually conquered. Well, it technically was for like five years by the Italians right before World War II, but it was never really actually colonized. So... It kind of has, like, an ethnic group. I mean, it kind of has, like, a predominant ethnic group, but it also kind of doesn't. Like, historically, they've been sort of... Ethiopia's been based around the Amhara people. But now I believe the Amhara are outnumbered by the Oromo. Yes. Who, the Oromo are more similar to the Somalis than the Amhara. And the Amhara and the Tigray share quite a bit in common. And they're both Christian... And then the Oromos, I believe, are split. Like, some are Christian, some are Muslim. And then you have the Somalis, who I don't know if we've talked about them a lot, but there's the country of Somalia. And then there's a big Somali community in the east of Ethiopia. Yeah, they have... There's a massive swath of Ethiopia. Like, if you want to 
you want to understand what we're talking about, you can pull up an ethnic map of Ethiopia. You'll just see the, the whole east of Ethiopia is just small. debatable because – oh, go ahead. Sorry. It's called uh, the Agaden area, and uh, that's just – I don't know. It's it's big. Actually, Somalia, I believe, tried to conquer it at one point, but they ended up losing that war. And uh, I don't think they have any aspirations, aspirations to uh, conquer it now, considering how – in shambles their government is and dear libertarians that is what happens when you try <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah but okay it's a um, pirate state and with like weird <laughs> factions and yeah terrorist groups and weird yeah. pirates is just very strange it's yes. a mess on this podcast we blame situations too. in somalia on libertarians anyways but no like the thing is, actually, that's debatable whether they're that big because from what I heard, basically the, the regions of Ethiopia are decided basically by whatever ethnic group was in power. In the last redrawing that split Ethiopia into the current the provinces, if I should be wrong about that, into the current regions that they are were the Tigray. So, I mean, it's debatable. I mean... I'm just talking about the pure numbers, like not the province. I'm just talking about the numbers. And Oh, the numbers, okay. like, due to censuses and stuff, they've shown that the majority of the East, and I mean it in a geographic sense, not a population sense. Like, that's I don't know how uh, many people actually live in a lot of I that know, area. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But the Tigray, from what I heard, they were the ones responsible for the last drawing of the borders as far as, like, regions going within Ethiopia. So the Somali region, like... The Somali region, that's according to the Tigray, and as you know, I'm not sure if they clash with the Amhara a lot, but like that's according to them and not really according to the Oromo who are currently in power, even though they're kind of split, but that's a controversy within the Oromo people, whether they're a split people between Jawar and Ahmed, so yeah, that's a whole nother story. Assuming that that's a split among religious lines, am I right? No, it's political, I believe. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ethiopia, there's some other groups there. Like, they're the Afar people who are in... By the way, the Tigray, we were talking about the Tigray, they're also in Eritrea, so if they wanted yeah. to create a country, they'd also have to fight your Eritrea. Yeah, basically... And Eritrea, Tigray that would be, that'd be Tigray. worse for them, because oh. their capital is in Tigray land, Asmara. That's a Tigray city in Eritrea. Yeah, I mean, they basically decided to declare themselves, like, owed by Ethiopia, but not owned by Ethiopia. Like, I'm pretty sure I read that they're actually pulling representatives out of Ethiopia's federal parliament. And so, like, I think basically the only connection they have with Ethiopia at this point, the TPLF and Ethiopia's federal government, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, is that they're physically within Ethiopia and are still a province of Ethiopia. Like, I mean, I guess you could look like at Ethiopia like a Belgium situation, but I don't know. I feel you should look at Ethiopia more like some sort of a Nigeria situation where you have a bunch of different ethnic groups. Like in Belgium, it's mostly two. I mean, I understand there are the Germans in the yeah. East. Yeah. But True. I mean, Ethiopia, I can just look at this map. You have, I'd say you have four prominent ethnic groups. And then Somalis, I would say you Tigre, have... Amhara, Oromo. Yeah. Yes. And then I'd say you have maybe five or so less prominent ethnic groups. The Afar would probably be one of them. You also have the newer in the uh, the southwest who are connected to... They're newer in the southwest, and then they're also in the 
South Sudan. So there's a little something there. And then there are so many ethnic groups in sort of the South that kind of borders, um, kind of borders Kenya that they literally have a region called the Southern Nations, Nationalities, and Peoples Region. I've pulled up a map of Ethiopia, and it lists the ethnic groups. Like, I can just list some of these people, like the, the Walamo, the Sidama, the Konso, the Garage, the Kambada, the Anuak, the Mo- Mocha, Mocha? I don't know. Is it like the drink, or is it... I don't know. Huh? <laughs> I'm not looking at Mocha, the Mocha, the Ofa, the Gimu... Hadia, it's just like there's so many of them, and it's insane. And they're all different, they all speak a different language, a lot of them have different religions. But I think that for Ethiopia to survive, they either have to split up at least into a couple different countries. Like, for example, I think there should be they should either try to split up into some sort of a Oromo based country in the south that might be more Islamic, although I don't know, and then. They want to have like an Amhara-based country in the north, maybe with the Tigray in there too. Or they could try doing some sort of a United States of Ethiopia thing, which I know they kind of do, but maybe less centralized. And I don't know, just look at just look at the American Constitution and then try to copy it for Ethiopia and try to adjust it uh, yeah. based on the situation. And I know, of course, our constitution isn't perfect, but hey, it's not its not a bad document. I think it would definitely do them some good to maybe look yeah. at it or look at some other countries if they... Hence the start of the... the first ideas. I mean, uh, I think Japan basically looked at our constitution and basically used that as a... Well, we kind of forced them to use it, but uh, <laughs> Japan's constitution is fairly similar to ours. Um, and then... Uh, before, actually, in the 1890s and 1900s, they basically just copied the French Constitution. But, I don't know. So, I think Ethiopia definitely needs to reform. I think they can either go the split-up route, where they split up into two or three, or maybe even four countries, or they can do the decentralize and basically give every ethnic group complete autonomy route, where I mean, if you think about it, Although, if you think about it, we actually give a lot of... I know our states aren't ethnic groups. Yeah. But we give a lot of uh, freedom to our uh, states. Some some states more than others, but yeah. But, like, I mean, we have states that, like, have marijuana legal. We have states that don't have marijuana legal. We have states that have state income taxes. We have other states that don't. We have states that have sales taxes. We have other states that don't. We have different regulations for a lot of things based on states. I mean, for a while, we had uh, alcohol was a state's issue. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of uh, we give a lot of freedom to our states. I mean, this whole coronavirus situation in the U.S. I mean, some states went super hardcore with the COVID stuff and then took it pretty seriously. And then some other states, they were like, eh, I don't know about this. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna like put up couple small restrictions but basically just try to yeah leave everything as is but <laughs> i think that that's definitely the route ethiopia should go i would have to examine the situation a little bit more but yeah it's a difficult situation i mean ethiopia even though they weren't ever colonized their borders are still built by colonization i mean if you look at a map 
Ethiopia, you'll also see that the easternmost border with Somalia is largely a straight line, and ethnic groups never form straight lines. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They're usually bound by rivers or mountain ranges or something. Unless you're North Korean, maybe. <laughs> Where you're not Although, the Koreans are a, they're an ethnic group. They're just split True. between the communists and the not-communists. Oh, by the way, another story we should cover is, if it ever makes the news, we should definitely cover the Egypt-Sudan border dispute, because that's an interesting story, too. Oh, yeah, the... Uh, your I towel. what that region's called. It's like that one city, but anyways. And um, the Hawaii-Eib Triangle, Triangle, I think. But anyway, that is not something we will be covering now, because yeah. I don't think it's in the news right now, but if it is, we will definitely cover it. So, yeah. uh, do we want to get to my story about Kyrgyzstan? Sure. So, in Kyrgyzstan, there are some protests. They started after many Kyrgyz claimed that the parliamentary elections were unfair. And this is the third time that there's been a major protest. Last year were actually revolutions in 2005 and 2010. And the president there, his name is Surun Bey Jinbekov. And he's a member of the Social Democratic Party. But this time, his party actually kind of split up. And the parliamentary wing of his party ran under different groups. But we'll get to that, actually. So one of his groups that he's kind of sponsoring was the Unity Party. And it was it's kind of a center-left party, although they're also very culturally conservative. And they also really like Russia. And they came in a narrow first. But then the second-place party which is called the My Homeland Kyrgyzstan Party, is also pro Surin Bekov. And then the third place party also supports him too. So a lot of people, it's basically controlled opposition where, hey, look, you have all these major parties, but they're all supporting the same guy. Hmm, that seems kind of suspicious. And Jean Bekov is very popular in the South. It's very agrarian, but the North is a lot more developed I believe that's around Bishkek. Let me look right now. I believe Bishkek is in the north. And yes, it is. It's quite far north, actually. And that causes problems for Jean Bekov. And the elections were held on October 4th. And then the next day, October 5th, 5,000 people gathered in Bishkek to protest against allegations of vote buying. So that is quite something. Actually, it's actually kind of relevant because we have a similar situation in the U.S., which I don't think we want to talk about right now because yeah. we don't want to talk about American politics. We that don't much. want to inflame tensions here. But um, there was civil unrest, including rock throwing and tear gas. And the tear gas was used by the Kyrgyz police. Of course, that is not something unique to Kyrgyzstan. Uh, you, dear listener, if you are in the U.S. or another country, probably France would be another country, you might be familiar with the police using tear gas. The protesters, they also freed President Almazbek Atambayev from jail. I'm sorry, I have to make a correction. Former President Almazbek Atambayev from jail, who he was in jail for allegations of manslaughter. It's a very confusing story, and I did not fully delve in. I didn't fully dive into the reason that he's in jail, but I don't know. I can do that next time if we want. And then October 6th, um, Prime Minister Kubatbek Boronov resigned 
and yeah, that's pretty big. I mean, it's very rare that you have a prime minister resign. And then the next day, October 7th, impeachment proceedings against Shinbekov were launched. So that's also pretty big. And then today, October 9th, Shinbekov has declared a state of emergency. And so far, there have been over a thousand injuries. Apparently, there's only one death, although I highly doubt that. Those numbers are probably fudged. I mean, I don't really know how you could have so many injuries, but no deaths. That just seems kind of weird. I mean, there are injury to death ratios. I don't think of them as a thousand to one. I usually think of them more as like 20 to one, but I don't know. So, Andy, what do you think about these protests? I mean, Kyrgyzstan, like, compared to the rest of the countries, they're really, like, in the area, they're really democratic. I mean, I know Uzbekistan is a long story. I know Turkmenistan's a flat-out dictatorship with a terrible human rights record. But, mm-hmm. like, um... We covered them earlier. Yes. Well, we talked about them in this episode. We talked about them, I think, we talked about them in the in a previous one. Damn, they're becoming the new Turkey of this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're about to overthrow Turkey for the country we talked about constantly. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyways. Um, it looks like that might have to wait because we couldn't go a single episode without mentioning Turkey because <laughs> we just did. Yeah, yeah, well, that's four in a row now. I didn't even know. Yeah, um, Turkey is literally uh, in the center of the world in a sense because, I mean, you have... I said this in the last podcast episode, but you have Europe to the west, you have Africa to the south, you know, not directly south, but like across the Mediterranean Sea, and you have Asia to the east, and kind of the north, I guess, but mostly to the east. And, I mean, that's why, uh, that's why the Ottoman Empire was a thing. It was able to conquer three continents, conquer Egypt, conquer uh, the Middle East, and then conquer much of the Balkans, actually pretty much all the Balkans, except maybe Slovenia and Croatia, but yeah, anyway, that's off topic. But yeah, anyway, back to what you were saying, Andy. So, I mean, I'm kind of surprised to see this. I mean, this seemed like a Brexit situation, but not like it seemed like a Brexit slash Venezuela situation where you have like clashing leaders and yeah, I mean, I don't follow a lot of Kyrgyzstan politics, but I'm kind of sad to see this happening because like I'd honestly, like, in the future, I would be surprised if there was, like, a European parliament, except for, like, the Middle Eastern countries. Like, I mean, oh. I know there if there kind of is something like that, but I know there's, like, I would be surprised if, like, there was a union consisting between, like, Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, maybe Israel, Lebanon, Jordan, Uzbekistan. Oh, not Israel. Well, I mean, like, provided things calm down, like, I mean, Uzbekistan, like, if they ever figure out, like, I don't know. Like, Uzbekistan is the hard one, because, like, I'm not sure if their government, their ruling party is just really authoritarian and, like, happens to have a lot of seats, or they're an actual dictatorship, but, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, under Jinbekov, Kyrgyzstan joined the EEU, or the oh, yeah, Asian Economic that. Union, which is, like, a less powerful form of the EU, or European Union. I think the EEU wants to be kind of like the opponent to the EU, although... Not sure why you'd want to do that. How that will turn out. Away from having their own army, I think. Like, I heard some talk of it, but anyways. But I mean, like, the EEU is Russia, is the leader. Armenia's in the EEU. Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, I guess. Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan's in the EEU, and then, of course, Kyrgyzstan's in the EEU. 
Oh, and Belarus too. Belarus is in the EEU. So it's only five countries. And the main difference is that, I mean, in Europe, a lot of people say Germany's the leader of the EU and that it holds the most power. But like, come on, Germany does not hold 90% of the power in the EU. Like Russia holds probably somewhere between 80 to 95% of the power in the EU. So that's just kind of the problem. Like if it was Russia and China, that would actually make things more interesting. Because China has a bunch of people in it, has way more people than Russia does. But that just makes things kind of weird because Russia's population is just so much bigger than Kazakhstan or Armenia or Kyrgyzstan or Belarus. Which, by the way, a little Russia update, Alexei Navalny is apparently doing fine. Apparently he's in good health. So I'm happy about that. We are happy that he's not suffering uh, devastating effects from the poison and that he's out of his coma, and he has an Instagram, so if you want to go follow him, it's just... Yeah, no, we should, we should follow him. Our, I think uh, we do follow him. I'm pretty oh, sure right. I follow I'm pretty sure we follow him. Oh, we should we'll DM him after the we should come on the show. <laughs> yeah, although I don't think he speaks English, so... Well, I mean, worth a shot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's worth a shot. Get, yeah. a, get an interpreter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he probably won't go on, because we're just so... We're so, so, we're so small. I mean, Boris like, Johnson, I think, refused my invite. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised I don't if think Baldi he, did as well. Let's be honest, he probably didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I mean, I used his website directly, but I don't know, man. I mean, Boris, if you're listening, I'm waiting. So, uh, yeah. We should try to get more local people on, but yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about international stuff, so that may be kind of hard, but yeah. I don't know. Get local international people on. Like, get the mayor of a really tiny town in France on. Yeah. The no. mayor of a really tiny town in Lithuania on. Something like that. I don't know. But anyway, um, actually, that'd be really interesting. If we could find a mayor who speaks English of one of the towns in Artsakh or in Azerbaijan, it'd be nice if we could get one of both because then they could both share their side of the story. But if we could get like a someone I mean, written to that area mayors, on, so. then hey, that'd be cool. Like find the mayor of yeah. uh, uh, Mardikert and see if he or she speaks English. And yeah, I don't know. Well, that's yeah. something for another time. But anyway, yeah. yeah, it is sad to have this all happening in Kyrgyzstan. I mean, they are a pretty interesting country in the region. They're Muslim, although they are a lot more secular than the rest of the Middle East, although it's actually debatable if they're even in the Middle East. They're kind of straddled between Central Asia, East Asia, South Asia, and the Middle East. They're at this weird crossroads. Well, it's kind of, well, that's kind of what Central Asia is. It's a crossroads between Eastern Europe, the Middle East, South Asia, and East Asia. But, yeah, I wish the Kyrgyz people well. And I hope that they are able to continue on. Because I actually think that as far as new countries go, I, I think they're actually quite, they're actually doing quite a good job with uh, their country. I mean, I, their standard of living is I think a lot better than the rest of the region. I don't think it's like any, I don't, it's no Denmark or anything. Like it's no, it's nothing like insanely high, but it's a lot better than the rest of the region. And yeah, we'll, we'll follow the story and we'll give you updates. We do have a correction to make. We previously, or I guess I previously stated that Kyrgyzstan is one of the most wealthy countries in Central Asia. It's actually not true. I was apparently confusing it with Kazakhstan, so I'm sorry about that. Kyrgyzstan is actually one of the least wealthy countries in Central Asia, but I still think the premise of our statement stands that 
we wish them well, and we hope that they have a bright future ahead of them. And, hey, we're, we make mistakes. So, we're admitting our mistakes. A lot of news outlets don't do that. So, yeah. So, Andy, do you want to get to your final story, the Albania story? Yeah, so I thought this was kind of interesting. Albania is actually moving a step closer to joining the EU, apparently. Oh, because, nice. Uh, well, I mean, not directly, but um, they recently held electoral reform, changing their elections to open list, and, and there's a new formula for coalitions in Albanian parliament, dominated by the Socialist Party of Albania, which controls 75 out of 140 seats in the Parliament of Albania. They have no special name for their parliament. This aroused significant public debate. Uh, opposition members who abandoned their mandate to do stuff supported this, apparently. And so one of their changes includes having an open list, and it also requires changing Albania's split up of their country their, or provinces. They call them regions in this article. There, it's 12 regions split up into 61 municipalities, and so as I said, I think I said this already, but they're converting to an open list, which means that they'll be able to vote for candidates on a party list, basically meaning that, like, vote for their favorite party, and then whoever gets the most, based on how many people vote for that party and how many votes each candidate receives within that party, they will be elected to the parliament of Albania. But there's also a lot of opposition within Albania right now, which is like they upped the, the threshold to get in the parliament to 5%, which the leader of the opposition Democratic Party, which interesting name in an American contest, they're actually a center-right party in Albania, near which controls 45 out of the 140 seats in, national, in the National Assembly of Albania. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether they are EU eligible and what will happen here. Hello? Yeah, that will be interesting to see. I mean, I am not as well versed in electoral politics as you, Andy. I mean, that is kind of your thing. I mean, you're t you are usually the guy who brings up uh, electoral voting stuff. Systems. <laughs> yeah. But voting I am systems. fairly well versed in the EU. And I mean, the EU, they have a lot of candidates there. Um, candidate countries, probably a better term to use, that want to join. I mean, the most famous one is Turkey, although that is kind of dead because of Erdogan. Oh, by the way, there, there we go again. We've mentioned yeah, Turkey. Another Turkey again. <laughs> We're on a roll we, here. We mentioned them again, roll. I swear. We can't go a single episode without mentioning Turkey. <laughs> I mean, um, it's like, it's like, wait a minute, we're talking about Albania, and then here comes Turkey. <laughs> well, interestingly, Albania uh, was in the Ottoman Empire. It's one of those countries, yes, along with um, most of southern, southeastern Europe. And uh, Albania, it is, um, it does have some things to work out. Like, for example, oh, they the definitely leave, need to work out the whole Kosovo situation. I mean, Serbia needs to work it out more than Albania does. I'd argue the other way around, just anyways, but yeah. Because, I mean, Albania doesn't actually hold a claim to Kosovo's land, unlike Serbia, which... Yeah, I agree. I mean, but Albania needs to stop their weird relationship with the Kosovo government. That's a different story, though. I think Albania is probably the third most likely country to join after 
um, Montenegro is probably the most likely, and then also North Macedonia is the second likely, the second most likely, especially after they resolve their conflict with Greece. I think North Macedonia, I'm assuming Greece might let them in now. I mean, I know they swore not to before, but I think they might. And then I think Montenegro is basically just, it's basically more of when will they let them in um, instead of if they will let them in. But I think Albania definitely could join. I think it would definitely help Albania. You know, Albania could, I mean, I bet Italy would probably benefit quite a bit from Albania being in the EU because Italy is directly to the west of Albania. I mean, there's the sea. Is that the Adriatic Sea? Or is it called something else? I don't remember what it's called, but there's a big sea there between Albania and Italy. But yeah, it would probably help with shipping, especially because of the weird kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, like a peninsula that extends um, in Italy, like sort of, it's shaped like a boot, like the back of the boot, the heel of the boot. That's where uh, I'm assuming there's a lot of shipping from that area to places like Greece and then also to countries like Croatia. But Albania would definitely be a nice addition for Italy. And then I guess Albania would probably also be nice Nice. if Montenegro were going to join because Montenegro isn't really surrounded by other EU members if it was going to join. I mean, Croatia's in the EU, but Croatia has a very narrow border with Montenegro. Like, it's very tiny. And, I mean, it's not even completely connected because Bosnia is that one weird port that's sticking out. <laughs> yeah. It's a very strange border. I mean, check it out. Like, zoom in. It's very weird how all of Croatia isn't actually connected. But Montenegro, if Albania was in, that would definitely be nice for Montenegro because then the Montenegrin people could just pop right down to Albania if they wanted to get to Greece, they could just go from Montenegro to Albania to Greece, and that would definitely help them. And I think also it would be nice for a lot of the Albanians if North Macedonia was also a member, because, I mean, this is all presuming that we have the Schengen still. And I mean, I know Bulgaria and Romania are in the Schengen area, but presuming that all these countries entered the Schengen area, there's a lot of Albanians in North Macedonia and I bet they would really like being able to just freely travel between Albania and North Macedonia. But that would be really nice for them. I think it might be a little bit of a long shot just because Albania isn't as wealthy as some of the other countries in the region. I mean, it's not as poor as Bosnia, but it's not like by far, it's not the most wealthy country at all in the Balkans. So there might be a bit of a wait, but hey, that's interesting that uh, Albania I mean, is doing these always, reforms. There are always those people who say Greece lied to get about their financial situation into the EU. So I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I don't know how Albania could lie. Like I mean, Montenegro might be able to lie. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Like maybe they'll they're say they're like a they're like a big shipping. They're on the coast, and they're, like, really big in with, like, all the shipping and stuff, and they're in a pretty strategically good location. Albania is also on the coast, but, I don't know, Albania doesn't strike me as a country that could really, like, what would they lie about? Like, what would they pretend to? I don't know, like, maybe maybe they'll say, screw it, screw international law, grab Kosovo, claim they have two capitals, two capitals, and decide to march on into the EU with them. Like, who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's probably their dream, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, yeah, no, plus, that would like, basically provoke a war. 
Yeah. Well, a freeway war. war survey, you'd have a new Balkan war, which, by the way, it's probably going to be coming like within the next like 15 years. Like, it's kind of inevitable that, I mean, come on, there has to be something there, but we'll see. Yeah. So, um, do you have any final thoughts on this topic? No, do you? I don't think so. So, do you want to finish this episode? Yeah, sure. So, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at TWY1244 and on Reddit, you da- and our username is U-Capital-T as and this, capital W, week, and capital I, enter, followed by another underscore, and we are also on BK, but we don't want to keep that up too much. And uh, we'll talk to you later, internet. Oh, and by the way, I do want to mention all of our podcasts that you can listen to our episode on. Spotify. We are on Anchor. We are on Breaker. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Pocket Casts. We are on Radio Public. And we are on Spotify, where we do get most of our listeners. And then our RSS feed is HTTPS um, colon slash slash anchor dot FM slash S slash 316E982C slash podcast slash rss if you are curious but i think we're done and we'll see you later internet